Good morning, everybody. My name is Steve. I'm glad that you're here. Would you stand up? We're so glad that we get to serve a God who, he's got, the, he knows everything already. He knows our history, what we've been through, what's going to happen to us at the end. And I want to make sure that we worship him for everything that he's done for us and will do for us. Are you excited about today? No, nah, maybe. All right, let's see what you got. No, okay. Let's be excited about God. Maybe not anything else. How about that? Yeah.
You're working, even when I don't feel it, you're working. 
Church family, this morning I know that there are so many of us trying to hold on to hope and believe that God has something better for us in the future than what we've ever seen in the past. And while we're holding on to that hope and that faith, I want to remind you that he says, the Lord, he says the Lord in scripture, Peter says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as we consider slowness, but rather he is patient with us. He wants all of us to come to repentance and none of us to perish. So aren't you glad this morning that you have a God that's patient with you? I'm so glad that I have a God that's patient with me when I don't deserve it. And it makes me want to be like him. So that's my challenge to us this morning is to believe that he is patient with us. And we want to be like our Heavenly Father.
not deny your power. We will not deny your presence. We will not deny that you're in this place. And you're the one that has been waiting on us to make these decisions for you. And you're constantly coming back to us, constantly telling us what the plan is. We're the ones that forget. We're the ones that pull away. But your plan to win this world is in each of us. Your plan to be a light in this world is because of what you're putting within each of us. So teach us how to be those who have your spirit. Teach us what it's like to have joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control within each of us. Every interaction that we have, every word that we say, Father, we consecrate ourselves anew to you and your spirit. Be in this place, be in our hearts. Take a bigger spot in our lives. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, do it one more time, because I always see the hosts make you do it twice. Okay, so good morning. Good morning. Oh, that's so good. Okay, my name is Alethea Hamilton. For those of you who do not know me, I wear many hats. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I am Morgan and Steven's mom. I am Dr. Hamilton's wife. I am Doc's favorite kid, and for those uh, that want to know what I do around here, I am the communications director here at the church, and I have just a couple of announcements. Wait a second. Be patient. I'm not done yet. Wait. Wait. Okay. So just a couple of announcements. First of all, our Getting Started 101 class is next Sunday. For those of you that have questions about baptism, you want to know what it means to be a Jesus follower 24-7, 365. This is a class for you. It meets in the Connections Room after both services. Ben Webb will be there to, um, to discuss things with you and answer any questions that you may have. Ow! Patient! Oh, my goodness. Okay. Next. Next. If you are a boomer or a builder, that means you are 62 plus in age. Are you ready? If you are a boomer and a builder, we have our Oasis and Luncheon and Games Day that always <laughs> happens on the first Thursday of the month here at Cap City. This time, Vern Webb, Vern Webb, Vern Huber, sorry, you're making me nervous. Just patience. Hurry up. Okay, I'm almost done. Okay, so Vern, no, Vern Huber will be up at the pavilion, okay, and he's going to be doing a cookout. It's this Thursday, January 4th. No, what month am I? June 4th. Stop it. You're making me nervous. Thank you. Um, anyway, he'll be up there at the pavilion cooking hamburgers, hot dogs. You guys can spend time together, play games. It's just a good time to get out and enjoy this Kentucky weather. Hi. Are you done? Almost. I kind of like it up here now. Go away. Okay. All right. So how many of you guys have a problem with patience? Raise your hands. I am told that I do too. <laughs> now we have a bunch of twits on staff here at Cap City. And when it was pointed out on the schedule that I was going to preach this sermon on patience, they laughed, right? Because <laughs> they've got a bunch of dorks. And even though I'm probably not very good at it, you still have to preach God's truth, don't you? Even if you end up just preaching to yourself. There are quite a few things that kind of test my patience. Some of them are big. Some of them are just little things. How many of you guys get impatient with slow? Just slow. I mean, slow drivers, slow walkers, slow talkers, slow shoppers, slow cashiers. Any of you guys like that? I hate being boxed in by a slow driver. Sometimes I'll find myself muttering a few words of encouragement, right? <laughs> 
Sometimes I'll ride their bumper till I can zip by only to discover it was some little old grandma that I just terrorized. <laughs> if there's a purgatory, I'm in trouble. And I get annoyed by bad manners. Bad manners, do you guys? People who talk too loud, eat too loud, people who are crude, kids who are out of control, parents who allow their kids to be out of control. Have you ever daydreamed about having just a few minutes alone with that kid, no questions asked, right? And then smacking a parent upside the head. How about people who mumble when they know you can't hear? Maybe they're walking away mumbling. People who throw trash out their windows. People who put you on hold. So you've got to listen to that same song interminably, right? Telemarketers. Once I discover it's a telemarketer, just click. Now my iPhone starts warning me. It, it, it alerts me that it might be a telemarketer, which is cool because I don't have to answer the phone at all. Or losing stuff. You ever get impatient with losing stuff, maybe with yourself? I get impatient with my family because I'm pretty sure they hide my stuff just to annoy me. Interruptions. You ever get impatient with interruptions? Sometimes I'm the only one in the office. Guys, that is never good for the church, right? Because it means I have to answer the phone, right? And if I'm in the middle of working on something and people keep calling, I've got to keep reminding myself that I'm a preacher answering the phone for the church, right? We laugh at those things as if it doesn't matter. Because impatience is one of those things that we find an acceptable sin. We don't much care, right? We laugh, kind of enjoy it. Acceptable sins. Hmm. Actually, if people were not so irritating, I wouldn't struggle with patience, right? If only people would do life in a doc-approved way. But I've discovered, painfully, that the world does not revolve around me. Go figure. And I'll admit that I'm a total hypocrite because I love testing people's patience. I think it's fun. When my grandkids are in the car, I will leave my blinker on going down the road just because it annoys them, right? <laughs> you look like an old man, Grandpa. Well, I am. Shut up, right? Or, you know those little cuts on the side of the road, your tire gets on top of them and makes that noise? I'll just keep my tire right on top of that. It's so fun. When my grandkids are in the car, it makes this annoying whine, drives them crazy. Or maybe when I'm approaching a light, I'll just slam on my brakes and then yell out, brake check, brake check, right? If there's a purgatory, I'm in trouble. Believe it or not, I'm way more patient now than I used to be. That's hard for you guys to imagine, huh? Because the Spirit of God had a whole lot of work to do on me. We pass it off as little. But patience is a really, really big deal. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. We've been talking about these fruit of the Spirit in this remastered series. It's one of those pieces of the image of God that He's trying to cultivate in every single one of us Jesus followers. And it's hard. Because we live in a world that does not revolve around us. And we live in a world surrounded by sinners. Every single person I do life with is a sinner. Some of those sins hurt me. Just like some of my sins hurt those who do life with me. Which means that a God-like patience is a really, really, really big deal. Don't blow it off, guys. Jesus told a story one time, a parable, and I'm going to jump into the parable right smack in the middle. I'm not going to tell you the first part yet. There was a servant 
who went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Literally, Jesus says the guy owed him a hundred denarii, right? Which is not a small debt. In Bible times, an an average worker would earn about one denarius per day. So this is about four months' wages. Even at minimum wage, you could calculate that the guy owed him about 6,000 bucks, right? Well, the first guy grabs the second guy by the throat, and he says, I want my money now, $6,000. Well, Jesus says that the second guy, the guy who owed the money, fell to his knees and begged for more time. We don't know what his situation was. Maybe he had had some really hard luck. Maybe he's just a jerk trying to avoid paying his friend back. We don't know. What we do know is that the begging didn't work. Jesus says that the creditor refused to wait. So he actually had the guy arrested and put in jail till he could figure out how to pay back the money, which is weird, but that's something they could do back then. Now here's the question. I know the guy who was owed the money seems kind of harsh, but did he do anything wrong? Do you think he did anything wrong? The guy he put in jail did owe him the money. Putting him in jail was fully legal. If someone owed you thousands of dollars and wasn't paying, would you be tempted to do the same if you could today? Well, the other servants were mortified. When they saw what had taken place, they went to the king and complained. You know why? I mean, the guy had done something fully legal. You know why the other servants were so upset? They were upset because they knew the first part of the story, the part of the story that I haven't told you yet. See, I started in the middle. Here's what happened first. Apparently, the king himself was doing his books one day and decided to make sure that people were paying him back what they owed him. In the process of all that, One of his debtors was brought to him who owed him, literally it says, 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Now, that's a unit of money back then. A man would have to work about 15 years to earn one talent. That's how much he owed. I figured in today's terms, this guy owed the king about $2 billion. So the king's ticked, wouldn't you be? Well, here's what happened in Jesus' story. Since the servant was not able to pay back $2 billion, the king ordered that he and his wife and all of his children be sold to repay the debt. Now, the sale of these guys wouldn't do much to make a dent in that $2 billion, but it was something. But it says that the servant fell to his knees and begged the king, please be patient with me, I'll pay it back. Give me more time and I'll pay you back your $2 billion. Right. Well, do you know what Jesus says the king does? And guys, this is the most important part of the story. Listen. Jesus says the king was filled with pity, released him, and forgave the debt. He didn't give him more time. He forgave a debt of $2 billion. You know what happens next? Well, this is the same guy who threw his own debtor into jail over a $6,000 debt. His master had just canceled a debt about 500,000 times as big as the one he was obsessed over. 
and he refused to give his brother a break. Well, that's why the other servants are outraged. That's why they reported him to the king. And this is what Jesus says the king did. Jesus says, Then the king called in the man whom he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you a tremendous debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just like I had mercy on you? And it says the king sent the man into prison until he paid back every penny, which means I suspect that he spent the rest of his life in prison. Here's the scary part, guys. This is not a story about money. It's not a story about money. Here's the part of the parable that makes me wince. Here's the way that Jesus ends the story. He says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and your sisters from your heart. Because guys, we're not the king in the story. We're the twit who was graced by God and then refused to grace his brother. See, guys, if we want to understand the patience that God wants to grow in us, we need to understand this story. Start with just these four little things in this story. Number one, you believe this? God has forgiven me a debt that I can never repay. He's done the same for you. Do you buy that? God has forgiven you a debt that you can never repay. The debt that I accrue with God through my sin is more than I can ever make up. You too. This story teaches us about the amazing grace of God. He's forgiven me billions. You too. See, God's patience is always undeserved. It's always undeserved. In fact, that's kind of necessary for patience, right? You wouldn't need patience if everything was going well. God wouldn't need to be patient with us if we always behaved ourselves. There's not a single person in this room, there's not a single person out there who deserves the patience of God. You buy that? Number two, think about it, guys. It is absolutely ludicrous for a man who's received God's boundless grace to refuse that grace to a brother. It's crazy. If God has forgiven me billions, why would I hold a grudge against a brother who owes me thousands? At least that's what it looks like in God's eyes. Number three, this is scary. If I want to continue to enjoy the grace of God in my life, I had better reflect that grace in my life. If I want to enjoy the patience of God, I need to reflect that patience in my life. We're going to get back to that. Because how I treat people affects how God treats me. God is patient with the patient. That's terrifying, isn't it? That's a dangerous Christian principle. God is forgiving towards the forgiving, merciful towards the merciful. He's patient with those who are patient. One more little piece. God's patience is not leniency. It's not leniency. I think there are a lot of people who kind of picture God as a cosmic grandfather who lets his children untie his shoes, pull his beard, mess up his living room, and pretty much run wild and still reaches into his pockets to give him candy. Right? Apostle Paul says this. He says, don't you realize how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? You know why? 
Does it mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness and his patience is intended to turn you from your sin? And if God was simply just, he could send any one of us to hell right now. The fact that he's patient gives us a chance to make him the Lord of our life. Do you get that? Can you imagine what it would be like if God lacked patience? Can you imagine what it would be like if God accorded you the same patience that you accorded the people around you? Hmm. So let's take a deeper dive. I want to look at a phrase that recurs in the Old Testament several times. It's in the Old Covenant with God. The first time you come across this phrase is when God passes in front of Moses. Remember him? And God says this. He says, I, Yahweh, am a God who is full of compassion and pity, who is not easily angered. I am a God who is not easily angered and who shows great love and faithfulness. Not easily angered. Slow to anger. In other words... He's patient. What if God was easily angered? What if God was quick-tempered and immediately gave us exactly what we deserved, the moment we deserved it? Where would you be right now? Later on, Moses says, the Lord is slow to anger. He got it. He's patient. He's filled with unfailing love because those two are linked, aren't they? forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion, but he doesn't excuse the guilty. In other words, God is patient, but don't misinterpret God's patience as leniency. And that phrase just keeps coming back. King David says, You, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy. You're slow to get angry. You're patient and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Again, what if he wasn't a God of compassion? a God of mercy, slow to anger. What if his love and his patience were simply as guarded and as limited as ours? How would that work? Now, when you get to the New Testament, it switches around a little bit because in the New Testament, our covenant with God, we are challenged to be slow to anger like God. We are challenged to be patient like God repeatedly. This first one's from James, the brother of Jesus. And he says, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Same phrase that's used of God in the Old Testament, right? The Apostle Paul says that the kind of love that God wants us uh, to to pursue is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Love and being easily angered don't go together. And it keeps no record of wrongs. It's a God kind of love. And right here in the fruit of the Spirit that we've been studying, the Apostle Paul says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in the life of every single Jesus follower, if you let him, love, joy, peace, patience, and all the rest. This is for all of us, guys. He doesn't want to parcel out patience to a few of us and not to the others, and he doesn't want us to excuse our impatience. This is part of the image of God. Now, that word patience is kind of a weird word in Greek. It's pronounced makrothumia, makrothumia, which is a compound word. The macro part means long, big. Thumos part means anger. Although it's more of a rage, it's kind of a fury. 
So together it kind of means long-tempered rather than short-tempered. It means slow to anger rather than hair-triggered, right? Which are you? It's talking about a person who isn't ruled by their temper because the Bible says a man who doesn't control his temper is a fool, right? It's not that a patient man never gets angry. That'd be ridiculous. Sometimes anger is appropriate, guys. Sometimes anger is right. It's righteous. Sometimes if you don't get angry, you don't get it. But it means that instead of reacting, instead of doing the first thing you feel like doing, instead of saying the first thing that comes to your tongue, the patient man stops, takes a deep breath, and processes in just an instant, is the thing I'm about to do, is the thing I'm about to say, God-honoring. Is this the kind of thing Jesus would do? And if it's not, we've said it over and over again, guys, we Jesus followers do not follow our feelings. We follow Jesus. Our feelings are going to lead us astray. We follow Jesus. Now, there's some counterfeits to this patience. There are some attitudes that people call patience, but they are not God-honoring. Let me just show you a couple of them. Do you know anybody who's really good at hiding their anger, repressing their anger, and they call it patience. You know someone like that? Someone who nurses it on the inside or presses it down on the outside. So it looks like patience, but they're burning up inside. God doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the inside. And he sees how it eats at them, and he sees the bitterness, and he sees the grudges. Does that describe any of you guys? That's not patience. And I know that some people look patient when in reality they're just wusses. It's fear. They look like they're patient, but it's not love that's driving them. It's, it's fear. And don't confuse apathy with patience. Some people look like they're patient when in reality they just don't care. It's not love. They don't care when people are rude. They don't care when people get hurt. They don't care when people sin. That is not patience, guys. It's apathy. And it's pathetic. If you're never annoyed, if you never get angry, you're messed up. A God-honoring patience is about dealing with your annoyances and your anger in a God-honoring way. It's not a sin to be annoyed. It's not a sin to be angry. It is a sin to respond in a God-dishonoring way. This is image of God stuff, guys. The Bible talks about it a lot. If you love someone, you're going to get angry when someone hurts them. If you love someone, you're going to get angry when they do something self-destructive, like God does. But knowing when and how to control your anger in an image of God way, that's what real patience is all about. So let me show you a verse. It's a really important verse, and it gives you the two primary strategies to developing a God-honoring patience. You ready? Both of these are hard. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. In fact, I think this would be a great verse for you to memorize. Mark it down, Colossians 3, 13. Memorize it so you can take it with you all of the time. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. 
Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, God forgave you, so you've got to forgive others. Here it is in a couple other translations. Bear with one another. Forbearance. Bear with one another and forgive one another, remembering God forgave you. Be tolerant with one another and forgive one another, remembering God forgave you. Two big ideas. Forbearance and forgiveness. Forbearance and forgiveness, one at a time. Forbearance, that's a word we don't use much, right? You know why? Because <laughs> I don't think it's an idea we like much. It means restraint, self-control, just putting up with difficult people, which is flat-out hard. There's another word that I like better. It's a cool word, magnanimity. Magnanimity. It's a cool word, isn't it? It basically means you've got a big soul. Big soul. You are not easily offended. You're not petty. You're not a snowflake. You don't play the victim. You don't go around looking for an apology. You don't try to cancel people who offend you. You don't act like the world revolves around you. Magnanimity. People are going to mess up. You smile, take a deep breath, and keep on loving them. People disagree with you. You smile. You get that. People say things that are innocently offensive. You smile and you move on. Your kid tries and tries and fails again. You don't fly off the handle because he tried. Some dork sits in your chair in church. You smile and you find another. Preacher, forget your name again, dork. You give him a break. Your husband forgets your anniversary again. He's just dumb. This is countercultural, isn't it? We go around hunting for offenses. We go after the offenders, whether they meant to be offensive or not. We're easily wounded. We're quick to demand an apology. We love playing the victim. But guys, we're Jesus followers. We make allowance for one another's faults. That's what it says. We bear with one another. We put up with one another. We tolerate one another. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't it be cool to be a part of a community of people like that? And it's more than an annoyance sometimes. Sometimes it's just flat-out rudeness, meanness, a genuine offense, and that's harder, which is why he says, and forgive them. Forgive anyone who offends you. Guys, it's not God-honoring patience if there's neither magnanimity nor forgiveness. And I'm telling you guys that God-honoring forgiveness is one of the hardest things that God tells us to do, which is why it is a fruit of the Spirit because you can't do it without His help. Now, let me help just a little. Forgiveness doesn't mean just excusing what someone has done. It's not about endorsing sin, celebrating sin. God forgives because God loves. But God never endorses sin. He never compromises when it comes to sin, ever. And forgiveness doesn't mean that you have to let someone off the hook. Forgiveness does not mean that you can't hold someone accountable. Forgiveness doesn't mean you can't discipline a child or correct a child. In fact, I think that a parent who refuses to correct and discipline a child is not a God-honoring parent. Forgiveness means leaving justice to God. Trusting God to make things right 
and it's hard to trust God to make things right. Forgiveness means keeping on loving them anyway because that's the way that God loves us. And I'm telling you guys, both magnanimity and forgiveness are required for a God-honoring patience. This stuff is not easy. It's really, really hard, which is why it requires the power of the Holy Spirit. Magnanimity is required in a world that does not revolve around you because it doesn't. And forgiveness is required in a world where you're surrounded by sinners, which you are. So am I. Which means that patience is required for those who want to reflect the image of God, the character of God, which is how God designed us. And guys, it is absolutely absurd for those of us who've been incredibly graced to refuse to allow that grace to flow through us. It's absurd if you've been graced by God not to show some of that grace to the people around you because they're loved by God and they're loved by us. One more little piece. I know it's going to take the strength of God to be His kind of patient. What's our part? Number one, stop making excuses. I'm only human. If your impatience causes you to sin, admit it's a sin. Ask God's forgiveness. We love blaming everyone else for our responses. They may provoke you, but the response is on us. No excuses. Admit it's a sin and ask God's forgiveness, and you may need to ask forgiveness of the person that you snapped at irrespective of whether they were wrong or not. Number two, keep things in perspective. Guys, God has forgiven every single one of us billions of times more than what He requires from us. We are eager to get even. We are eager to punish. And God is eager to forgive. Remember, if your focus is on people, patience is always undeserved. If your focus is on God, the patience required of us is microscopic compared to the grace that we have received. Keep things in perspective. Number three, leave justice to God, which is so hard. A God-honoring patience requires that we trust God. We don't want to do that because we're terrified that He's not going to deal with it the way we want Him to. We want Him to get what they deserve. Well, thank God that He does not give you what you deserve and trust Him to handle wisely those who hurt you with the same wisdom that He shows you. And that's hard. And number four, remember, it's all wrapped together, guys. This is part of love. The Apostle Paul says love is patient. God's patient with us. You know why? Because He loves us. Do you know why we are weirdly patient? Because we love God and we choose to love those who were created in the image of God. You see, I don't think our real problem is impatience. I think our real problem is that we struggle to love. We struggle to love God enough and we struggle to love people God's way. Remember, all of the fruit of the Spirit flow right out of love. Bottom line, guys, there's a reason that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. 
because a God-honoring patience will require his help. And can you imagine if we start to get it right? Can you imagine how healing it would be to be surrounded by people who live this out? Talk about countercultural. Can you imagine how healing it would be to be a part of a community that pursues God-honoring patience instead of rage? Can you imagine how healing you would be because your focus is on God if you responded to people around you with magnanimity, magnanimity and forgiveness, patience and love, instead of the kind of disdain that we're prone to? Guys, this is changing. It's transforming. So let's change this place. Let's change our, our homes. Let's change our workplaces. We are called to be outposts of the kingdom of God in a world that desperately needs them. Are you willing to be part of that? Guys, we're going to spend a little bit of time at the Lord's table in just a minute after this song. I'm just going to ask you, this is a time when we each week ask ourselves how we're doing with God. How are you doing in this area? I know that a lot of us just blow impatience off. We don't care. It's a sin. It puts up a wall between us and God. It's a barrier to our witness towards God. Can you take it as seriously as God does? This is a big deal, guys. And if you've not started down this path with God during this next song or during the Lord's Supper time, I'm just going to sit right down here in the front row. Come down and let's talk. There's an elder praying for you right now in the back of the room, in that prayer room. Slip back there and talk to him. Maybe you want to make Capital City your home. Go talk to him. Come talk to me, and let's get this thing done. Let's pray together. Father, for your grace, all we can say is that we're amazed. For your challenge to do life your way, it's going to take your help. But Lord, help us to set no lower a bar. We want to be what you made us to be. We want to taste the life that you meant us to live. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand.
us. You have seen us make mistakes over and over and over again, and you give us grace. Father, thank you so much for the gift of Jesus Christ, the one who has allowed us to be a part of your family, the one that has allowed us to know who you are, to be able to call you Father. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for your faithfulness. We want to be patient with those that are around us because you've been patient with us. Father, thank you. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Would you guys have a seat for a second? We're going to go to the tables in a moment. And when we do, we're going to be mindful of the fact that Jesus Christ has done all this for us. He is the one who has sent the Spirit so that we can now live in a different way from the rest of this world. He's the one that has instilled this light within us, and we want to make sure that we are a light to the world. What it took was his death on a cross, and what we want to do is celebrate that, memorialize that right now. When we go to the tables, we're going to get a chance to be able to take some bread and some juice, and these are elements that help us remember that his body and blood were sacrificed for us. They're around these tables uh, in this room right now, uh, around us here now. And what you're going to have a, a chance to do is also, if you call this place your home and you want to give a, a, uh, an offering, you can do that in the black boxes that are at each of the tables. We have something that is a little different called a generous bucket, if you've never been here before. And this, uh, everything that goes in there, every dollar goes to people that are in need in this community. So if you would, go ahead and stand up again and go to those tables and remember what Jesus Christ continues to do for us every day. Guys, before we uh, send you home today, the, I want to just make a couple of uh, announcements. You know, Ben Jeffries resigned uh, about a week or so ago, and uh, we have hired an interim student minister. Now, I think the name is pretty much perfect for a student minister. His name is Brad Gross, and so his capital city address is B. Gross at Cap City capitalcitychristian.org, all right, which seems to me to fit for a student minister, but Brad's a remarkable fellow. He's been doing student ministry around this town for a number of years and uh, known to a whole lot of your kids, know some of you guys who are adults here as well, but I'm just going to let him introduce himself for here for just a moment. There you go. Thank you, Doc. Uh, well, when they came to me, they said, hey, we're looking for somebody that is young, fit, and wears skinny jeans. I checked none of the boxes, all right? Um, I am excited to be here. I have worked with students for quite some time. 
Uh, it is a passion of mine, but first and foremost, I do want to thank Ben Jeffries. Uh, when we started to go to Southland during uh, COVID, um, my kids came here, and Ben loved on my kids and poured into my kids, and I will be eternally grateful uh, for his time with my kids. Uh, to the students, I can't wait to get to know some of you all, several of you all I do know. Uh, I like to have fun. I know I look old, I've got gray hair, I still run around, do crazy stuff. But my goal is not for you just to know about Jesus, but to know him deeply and personally and what that God-like life looks like. Uh, to the student leaders, I can't wait to get to know you all as well. I've been in that role before. Uh, what you do, uh, I know some days you want to bang your head against the wall when you walk out, uh, but there is so much good that you all do. To the parents, I want to partner with you, help to grow your kids. I know it's something that you worry about, right? Is my kid going to follow the Lord? Is my kid going to be faithful? Um, listen, I'm a dad of two kids. Uh, I love my kids, but my greatest joy is to watch them follow the Lord. All right. Uh, and last of all, to the church body, um, I know you're looking at me and going, all right, I hope he does really well. Hey, let's do it well together, okay? It is our responsibility to pour into this generation, not one or two people. And with that, I look forward to getting to meet you all. So, uh, might as well get to know each other because we'll spend eternity together, so we might as well get to know each other now. Um, many of you all I know, if you have questions, you want to come up and say hello, I'll be up and around. So with that... Thank you. Now again, as I mentioned last week, uh, Ben Webb and uh, Aaron are going to be leading a search for our, our permanent student minister, but we were really lucky to have uh, Brad step in as our interim. I want you guys to support him in every single way. Pray for him. Pray for our kids. This is a big deal. Guys, I, I'm a little bit more rude than Ben. Ben puts it like this. He says... Guys, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here, so go away, okay? Thanks. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I've come a long way.